<laughs> Did you guys hear the orcs are anti-vax? It's just really <laughs> sad to hear. Welcome to Hobbit Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! The unofficial podcast of Second Breakfast. My name's Jamie Clare, and I'm here with my good buddies to talk about The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Episode 8, Alloyed. The season finale of Season 1. What an incredible season. Can't wait to talk all about it with my wonderful friends here, beginning with the lore master of Hobbit Hoopla, Andy Smith. Andy Smith here, a connoisseur of many nerdy things. Marvel, TV, DC. Did I say TV? The Sandman series on Netflix. The Sandman series on Netflix. Coming, a review's coming to you later in 2022, once I watch those two episodes. How about that Rings of Power finale, y'all? <laughs> You're dodging. One I dodged. I dodged. <laughs> I think it's mostly that you just decided that the people needed to hear more and more opinions, so we're going to maybe put something together for that a little we, later on. We should. The Sandman. You'll be seeing yeah. more and more shows coming from the Hoopla Podcast Network. And who will you be hearing on those shows? None other than the fantasy expert, Chris Pio. Hey everybody, Chris here, back for the finale episode of this season one. Really excited for things to come, but we've got one more episode to talk about here. Uh, you can find me online and give us your season-ending takes at Apple Pio on Instagram, at Apple underscore underscore Pio on Twitter, and of course, if you'd like to interact with us on socials as a group, you can find us at Hobbit Hoopla on Instagram and Twitter, as well as our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Hobbit Hoopla. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks for listening all season. And remember, you can find our merch online as well. We'd love if you'd make a purchase and spread the word, spread the hoopla. You certainly don't have to. We would love to have you along for the ride, whether you're buying our merch or not. If you choose to support us, we thank you greatly. If you don't, we're thanking you greatly. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And we're excited about this episode. Super excited and super excited about this merch. Currently drinking out of the Hobbit Hoopla mug. It looks beautiful there, Jim. That looks good. And rounding out the foursome for this week's episode, we have the elven librarian in charge of drying <laughs> off all those ancient scrolls, Jake Laxer. <laughs> this shit's wet. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. It needs to be dry. I can't read anything. All I know is uh, we don't have a king of the Southlands. That's all I got. Brutal. Yeah. So yeah, Jake Laxer here, lover of all things TV and movies. What an episode. What an episode. Am I right? Great episode. Can't wait to dive in. And thanks for sticking with us through all eight episodes, people. We appreciate you. Love you. And are thankful for the support. So keep on keeping on. And let's get this journey underway. And as the stranger says... Alone, it is just a journey, an adventure. Now that must be shared. And we thank everyone who has shared this adventure with us so far for season one. And continuing forward, as we announced last week, we'll be moving on. Uh, next week, we actually are going to do an episode recapping the whole season and looking forward to some of the future seasons of The Rings of Power. And then after that, we'll be diving into The Hobbit movies, The Lord of the Rings movies. And then, of course, we have our very... First foray into hero hoopla. 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 Oh, do we do we hoopla for that? We do. Sure. Why oh, not? We, we, we always hoopla. hoopla. Should, should, it, yeah. should it be more like hoo hoo hoopla? Oh, that's pretty good. We'll workshop. The first little MCU thing that we'll be uh, talking about is Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. So when that comes out here in a month or so, two months, whenever it is, uh, we'll be talking about it for hero hoopla. But that's all in the future. What we really got to talk about is this amazing season finale Sheesh. of the rings of power season one. Oh my god i mean we can't start anywhere other than the fact that sauron revealed himself in one of the most beautiful intense scenes of the season wow shout out to charlie vickers what a scene i just felt all of the energy if you're going to portray Sauron, you need to be fully present on screen. And that is exactly what we got. I, I was shivering. I nearly shat my pants. <laughs> oh, my oh God. My, oh, my. I think you might want to get that looked at. But you do yeah, make a I... good point there, Jake. We, we haven't really seen. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> Great point there, Jake. <laughs> Not about the pooping his pants part. More about the actor portrayal. You're right. Charlie Vickers has been playing us 
for this whole season. I'm curious to know when he knew that this was going to happen. Was it part of the job? Was it part of maybe they told him as soon as he signed up for the job? Either way, you make a great point, Jake, that we've never seen Sauron in this very human behavior because of the fact that he's been this kind of effervescent, omniscient power that doesn't really have a formal description. So to see that we've had a human character actually be this mysterious figure, that was really something impressive. And and we'll talk more about the scene a little later on. But it's a good point, Jake, right off the bat. You're starting hot. Thanks, baby. Hot as Mordor. I do have an answer for you, Chris, or I'm pretty sure this is the case, but I was watching some interviews with Charlie Vickers and and Morfith Clark and the other actors in the series last night. And they asked Charlie Vickers when he found out that he was Sauron. And he told Mm. them that they did like the first two episodes. They shot that, I think, pre-COVID. They Mm. shot that. And then COVID hit, they took a break. And then when he came back, when he was like officially getting into the full character, they told him, hey, by the way, Halbrand is a lie. You, my friend, are the Dark Lord Sauron. And so this whole season, he's been playing Halbrand, knowing that inside there, he is an evil little guy. One of the coolest things from that interview, Jamie, was the way that they told him he was Sauron is they walked him into the set from the, the very first episode in the castle, and they peered down at the anvil that has the Mordor symbol that we all assumed was Sauron symbol, and they said, this is your world. You are Sauron. I thought that was such a cool thing, and then he oh, like cool. lit, lit up. And this is a hot take here. My favorite scene in this season is Galadriel and, I was going to say Sauron, Hallbrand on the raft. That was one of the coolest interactions. Just the delivery from both the actors, the fact that it's pulling us back from episode two when they met each other. Really quick shout out. We briefly had a, a theory from one of our viewers that when she said, bind yourself to me, and the, and the elements erupted, well, there you go. They bring that back, where now they're back on the raft together. When Sauron is speaking with Galadriel, and he says, you know, you'll be my queen, and then he peers over into the water, and you see him, Sauron, in his classic armor with this helm, and you see her on the side as the dark queen that she talks about in Fellowship of the Ring. These are mm. all the pieces that I'm now ex- so excited to go back and watch Galadriel in Fellowship of the Ring. And I didn't know that this series was going to do this for me, but it's enhancing my future viewing of Lord of the Rings. Wow. I guess we could take the afternoon off, Andrew. You just hit <laughs> all of the major points there. And I'm glad you did. That means you're clearly excited. And that also means on the other side of that coin, the writers were clearly excited to put these stories into action. I, I loved your mention of the raft, up, the, the callback, which is a great callback. But it brings to mind a a bigger point that I want to make. The recap, the previously on, before the episode even starts, I remember thinking, and I did write a note down here, it's literally the first note because it had to be, recap was perfect. It had every question I want answered in it. And I think that made me realize I care about this show more than just the fact that we sit here and talk about it for a couple hours every week. I really wanted to see what happened with all of those storylines. So when I saw those recaps and when I saw those things, it makes me want to go back and even more, it's that, you know, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time thing. You're going to watch the movie again. It's got replay value. Sorry, spoilers. I guess we should have added that in. I don't know. Jake, can you maybe put a spoiler warning sound in there? But Bruce Willis (laughs) was dead the whole time. This spoiler (laughs) warning sound? (laughs) Pause for spoiler warning sound. bit of a moot point after the fact but uh, anyways bruce willis was dead the whole time it's a new movie when you go and watch it again and this is going to be a new show when we go back and watch it again something yeah. i'm very excited for yeah absolutely i mean i can't believe you just you spoiled die hard for me i was just getting ready to watch it but <laughs> you know maybe it'll be better this time die um, hard's a christmas uh, movie. also also that was not that that's not die hard that yeah that's, oh, I'm that's sorry, I'm not allowed to make that's jokes on the Hobbit Hoopla podcast. <laughs> <laughs> ah, see, you're playing 3D chess. You got me beat hey. on the other side. We've been throwing out theories the entire time. We've been picking up details, coming up with theories about it, and we've had millions of guesses. I've personally guessed that like eight different characters were going to be Sauron, so I can't take credit <laughs> for this being correct, yeah, but going back through the notes from earlier episodes of the season, 
The very first note I took about Hallbrand, before his name was even told to us, the first line he says, or maybe the second mm-hmm. line he says is, looks can be deceiving. Oh, the first wow. note I took was, in quotes, looks can be deceiving guy is Sauron. <laughs> and then under that, oh. I figured out his name was Halbrand. And they've just been doing that the entire season is they've Absolutely. laid out the groundwork perfectly. They set this guy up from the moment he hits the screen. Everything he does is leading to us discovering that he is confirmed to be Sauron. And I think they did something way better than what the Game of Thrones writers did, where the Game of Thrones writers were always just trying to like subvert our expectations and they would lead you in one direction with all this foreshadowing and stuff and then be like, skirt, actually, we tricked you. It's something else because they thought that a surprise is what people want. But actually, we want something that makes sense. And I think the writers of this show fully wrote out this character, this surprise to be epic, to be perfect, foreshadowing in every single scene that Halbrand is in. Honestly, though, Jamie, I agree so much, but it really all came down to how do you actually reveal him specifically? Like the scene itself was delivered and written so well. Essentially, this show has been building up for the past seven episodes, six with Hallbrand, for this one specific reveal. It gets your expectations very, you know, high for that moment. And if the, if it's not uh, delivered in the right way, or it, like it just comes off kind of goofy, it would have tanked this episode. So just Bad. I think it's partially the actor, partially the writing. Even just the cinematography of being on the raft. Before that, then the interaction with Invalinor between Finrod, Finrod and Galadriel. Like, once again, like, okay, this Halbrand Sauron character, he is the deceiver that he told you about in episode two. I think the most important thing about the whole flashback mind invasion that Sauron was clearly doing was the very first line that Galadriel says when that flashback scene starts. She goes unconscious in the middle of the fight with Halbrand. I'm using air quotes. You can't see that on a audio audio format. But with Halbrand, the conversation they're having down by the water, she goes unconscious. It fades to black, and then we see she wakes up, and she says, "Get out of my head." Yeah, in Valinor, mm-hmm. in that flashback scene, she says, "Get out of my head," which shows that. She's strong. She's strong-willed. She understands that Sauron is trying to, or at least a foreign entity is invading her head, and yet she still succumbs to believing the whole story about the dagger, everything that Finrod is saying, quote-unquote. Right. So it's a very powerful scene, and then he goes deeper, back to the raft scene. You saved me. I saved you. We could be together. It's, it's, It's a plan that he's clearly been working on. Charlie Vickers has clearly been working on this portrayal ever since he did know, and you guys filled me in on that interview stuff. It was masterful. The only thing is, where does it go from here? They've got a lot of work to do. I want to talk about this in my closing notes towards the end, but they've got work to do, the writer's room. I know they've got a lot of time to do it, but we'll talk about more what I think about this at the end. As a transition... I think the very last scene was my blemish on the episode. Uh, Since we're talking about the Sauron reveal with Halbrand, I did not like that he just kind of walked away and he's in Mordor now. It was a little like, I don't know. One does not simply walk to Mordor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's that. But it felt a little like, I'll get you next time, super villain type of deal, where he just kind of exits stage left. That was a... A small little gripe, but uh, I'll let that go because the reveal itself, starting at the beginning of the season, but then all the way towards this finale, was just masterful writing. I actually was fine with that. I felt like it allows us to enter into season two with the Dark Lord being situated for his throne. That way, you know, we can just begin the next season knowing that he's going to expand Mordor and begin putting forward that agenda, right? But in regards to the raft scene, I'm going to tie back to that and also the the mind invasion that you were discussing, the facade, if you will. One thing, you know me, I love to talk cinematics. That's who I am. That's where I I bring some input to the podcast. I absolutely love how intimate all of these shots were. I don't think Mm. if you don't make the viewer uncomfortable in these scenes, it doesn't work as well. You have to have Sauron literally screaming at the audience to feel that evil that darkness that's just so overbearing it was so powerful and that's exactly how sauron should be portrayed 
you know, I also like the contrast to that is you also get the close-up shots of Galadriel as well. And in that, it's this great counterbalance of trying to digest these two major forces acting upon one another. Yeah, that head-to-head between the two of them was intense. And I mean, the two of them together for the entire season has been great from a, what we originally had as like an uncertain relationship between them, the two of them to budding romantic relationship possibly to this now antagonistic relationship that will continue on for the rest of the series and beyond. Right. There were some instances when we were talking two episodes ago where they sat down together and they were Mm -hmm. like, oh, when I was fighting with you, I felt it. She goes, I felt it too. And we kind of thought maybe there's going to be a little romance spark there. Now I'm wondering if he was just kind of playing her, manipulating her. God, men are trash, I tell you what. There's not a good one out there. Not a good one in all of Middle Earth. I mean, I'm not saying Sauron's not trash. He's definitely trash, but I don't think he was manipulating her in that scene. I think he felt that he... Do you think he's capable of emotion like that? Sure. Not not for a positive outcome, but I think he did sincerely want her by his side. True. And and we definitely see that. You know, the final thing I'm going to say about their interactions together in this episode is Sauron, Halbrand, says to Galadriel, we can save Middle-earth together. And she goes, save or rule. And he goes, what's the difference? (laughs) (laughs) Thank God Jake is not an actor in this show. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. I, I really appreciated that that was the breaking point for him to truly come to fruition and embody the Dark Lord as is. So that was just sort of exciting to see his sort of reveal because it showed the, the complete polar opposites of the two of the two characters. What did you guys think about this Halbrand character where clearly we, we talked about, you know, Adar seemingly had killed him. At least that's what Adar said after this episode. I think that's true. I think Adar did kill Sauron a thousand years ago or whatever it may be. And Sauron's now a, a lowly person trying to figure out what to do next. And seemingly as Galadriel is trying to save the Middle Earth from Sauron, she's the one who picks him up on the raft and it comes all the way full circle for her essentially propping him up to be what he is now. And that's going to be such an interesting dynamic going into season two, three, where Galadriel is honestly the one that kept Sauron, the Dark Lord, from going into nothingness. Right. And, you know, you're talking full circle. And one thing I do have to bring up is we have that callback to the beginning of episode one where Gil-Galad sends Galadriel off as a result of her, you know, search for evil. But here we have, you know, at the end of season one, she really did actually give rise to what they were trying to prevent. And it's just sort of interesting to sort of see that Gil-Galad was actually correct all along. To be fair, Mordor would have already come to to be with Adar, uh, as we do know in episode Mm -hmm. six. But it is interesting that she really did give rise to the greatest evil of all. And that was what they were trying to avoid. Technically correct. (laughs) So that's a very interesting point that I have a thought on. But first, before I get to that thought, I do have a question and a theory that will kind of go beyond this. So I won't go into too much detail about it. But was Sauron's plan, was he really just giving up? Or had he planned this whole thing from even before he was on the raft? Yeah. We'll have to, we don't know. It seemed like he was giving up and just going to fade away to nothingness. But I still think there's a good chance that he had kind of been planning his return okay. even at that time. Mm-hmm. To your point that Gil-Galad was correct, we see that with a lot of the kings and a lot of the people in, in power in this season with the king of Numenor, with King Durin, with High King Gil-Galad. They all are kind of like going against what the characters that we're rooting for are wishing to happen. True. But at the end of the day, the kings are right. Like, they're making very reasonable arguments. But before Halbrand admits to Galadriel that he is, in fact, Sauron, he gets up to one of his sneaky little tricks again and brings back his incredible skill with smithing and helps our good friend Celebrimbor to craft the titular Rings of Power. Let's go. How about that for a cinematic scene, Jakey? Oh, beautiful. I, you know, I did enjoy these cinematic scenes. I, I appreciated them <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot. Cinematography. Mmm, widescreen angles, camera shots. <laughs> no, it was amazing. And especially, I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
you know, call out to the end of the episode when we just see the whole smithing process of them blending mm-hmm. the different alloys together and the mithril, and then it just slowly cascades down the channels that are in this forging structure. It's amazing to see them intertwine all the different weaves of the metals and mm-hmm. show the true fabrication of these rings of power. What I thought was great about that scene, not just the visuals, but the music was beautiful. And what you kind of realize is the song that's playing is the same song that ends the series, the ring poem, but it's just the, the, the lyrics are removed. So you hear this very ominous sound and it builds and builds. When you go on your rewatches, it'll build all the way to the end and then... Fiona Apple, who is the musician that sings the song, then her her voice comes out and then it's the ring poem of the most iconic of lines from any of Tolkien's works. I thought that was such a cool thing to end season one on, but it, it starts within the smithing scene. Yeah, I love That's that. That's a great catch. I, love I didn't that notice poem. that. That's a great catch. To expand on both of your excellent points right there, let's talk about the title of the episode. And it's a little peculiar in the sense of the way that an English conjunction would work, alloyed. And when you think about that word, that is a, a past tense mm. word, alloy. Alloy, or to alloy, which is also a verb in the sense that they do indeed alloy gold and silver, mix it together. It's a word itself that's kind of fallen out of vogue as, as production becomes less about you know, metal fusing as it was in the old days. But alloyed makes me think, it's very clever to name it that because this is a prequel. This has happened in the past. And sometimes when we're absorbed in these new stories, and obviously these new characters, we forget that these characters are still part of something we have seen before that is going to happen thousands of years later in the future. Timeline forgiving, we'll, we'll skip that conversation. But Al Lloyd, I love that they put this as a past tense title, because it makes you think, oh, the trouble's just getting started, and we know what these characters are going to grow into which makes it all the more fun to watch that journey. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Galadriel recognizes that these powers are so incredible for two beings to wield. And so for that reason, she knows a checks and balances system is necessary in order to make sure that no specific being is too overpowerful. And so that's why she suggests that we have the three ring rather than two. But little does she know that you know we will later have men and the dwarves and the dark lord fabricate their own rings which turns the whole system upside down whoopsies yeah so then we should mention that you know all the tolkien lore heads out Mm. there are going to be kind of upset that the elven rings were crafted first when really celebrimbor and with the help of sauron in his secret identity crafted the 17 or the 16 rings for the men and the dwarves, those were crafted first over the course of like us three centuries, I think. Get offline and go touch some grass. Yeah. Not not you, not you. We not just you. have to acknowledge. Well, and yes, you're right, but I think we're gonna get an interesting story this way. And the show had an, an interesting little line kind of in the background to just sure. acknowledge that they were messing things up. Or not messing things up, but twisting things around a little bit. Uh, as Gil Gallad is telling them that they don't have a lot of time. And Celebrimbor and Elrond are like, how are we going to do this? This is three centuries worth of work that we have yes. to fit into three weeks <laughs> to acknowledge <laughs> that. Yeah. Yes, in, in the lore, this took three centuries, but in the show, they do it in three weeks. It's a great, clever, little, almost fourth wall break line, but yeah. I think it's definitely there on purpose. Yeah, Andy, do you want to speak to why Rings of Power does sort of go off script in terms of the lore itself, like exactly what rights they actually have from the estate? That's a, an interesting question, Jake, and something that we learned about when Amazon got the rights to the series. They didn't get the IP rights to the Silmarillion, or I was actually going to say a book name, but that would be a spoiler, so I'm not going to say that book name. <laughs> um, but they got rights to the Hobbit book, they got rights to the Lord of the Rings books, and that includes the Return of the King appendices. Really, this entire series is based off of a historical account within the Return of the King novel. So it's it's very interesting that they're able to expand this into a full, what, five-season arc, really when it's just accounts of what happened in the Second Age, not the actual books 
or the works that talk about the creation of the rings. So it's kind of an interesting thing, and that's partially why they created Arondir and Adar and some of these other characters to be able to expand that out. I really appreciate how they've done it, though, because all of those additional storylines that Tolkien himself didn't write, they're all still impactful. Yeah, definitely. They're viable in this universe. And so, you know, to that exact point of a parallel that's in a different sort of fandom, um, you know, when Disney acquired the rights to Star Wars, they threw out a excessive amount of lore, which was Star Wars Legends, sort of going on a little bit of a tangent here. A lot of mm-hmm. diehard fans weren't very fond of that move. Uh, and as a result of that, Disney recognized that and they began implementing different things where they could. And I think that's exactly what we're going to get here, kind of like that little callback that they made in in the episode in terms of we're not going to be able to forge the rings in this amount of time. We only have three weeks. So, you know, they're doing the best that they can with what they have. They're crushing it. And so if you're a diehard fan, just keep an open mind. What an awesome show this has been. An incredible show. And the show is its own thing, right? This is a show based in the world that was created by Tolkien, but it's not a show that was created by Tolkien. It's in honor of the wonderful world he created, but it's not word to word, verbatim, exactly what happened. And so we get a a lot of the important things. Some of them get mixed up a little bit. But overall, the story is fantastic. I'm loving it so far. I think one of the little benefits of not going directly with what Tolkien has written is that we get a little introduction, maybe, one of our fan favorite characters a little bit earlier into the world of Middle-earth. As this stranger who's been hanging out with the Harfoots for all season, he gave us a little clue to who he might be there at the very end. I'm so excited! <laughs> who is he, Chris? Follow who is he? your nose! Is that enough? Is that a teat? Let's start mm. it right now as we transition into other parts of the episode. Let's go around the table. Is that too on the nose that they're going to rip our hearts out later on? It works because he also tells... I'm going to call them the followers of Morgoth. I'm still on the Blue Wizard train, so get at me. But Ooh, love <laughs> but he says, well, go back. Than ever. He says, go back to the Shadowland. You take those two quotes and throw them together. How can it not be? How can it not be? And what Jake's referring to, not to demean our listeners or anything like that, but it's a very subtle thing. And what I, what I want to get across, because if you did catch it, it's so exciting as a, a, a viewer because... It's that scene right towards the end where Nori's ready to go and, and go on this adventure. We got to talk about the Harfoots and we will. But if you want to start with possible Gandalf theories, I'm ready to start with possible Gandalf theories because we get that one line that ties the two together, Jake. It's the follow your nose line. We saw it way back in Fellowship and now we're seeing it Marry from a stranger. I, I think <laughs> thematically the way that he says it including the candor and as well as the grammar. Andrew, you mentioned he does put a comma, then put the name, and then finishes the line. <laughs> I just think it has to be Gandalf, and I really do think that they're, they're going to be telling us this up front. Let's keep going around. Andrew, what do you think? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I'm a 90% that this is Gandalf. No, 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 no. Okay, no. well, if you're going to say I don't that- want 90% on this one. This is pass-fail. Okay, well, if that if that's the case, I mean, I I think it's more likely than not he is Gandalf because they no, are telling no, no. us. <laughs> <laughs> but I can, I, can yes I tell you? Can no. I tell you? Can I tell you why? So sure, explain uh, yourself. He's going to the east. Okay, back and we've talked about the appendices. There were blue wizards that were sent to the east in Rune, mm. which is this very Ooh. specific area. I feel like the Amazon series, maybe they're trying to lean in and say, yeah, this is Gandalf. But then in the long run, they're going to say, no, really, maybe this is, you know, a blue wizard. Like they're trying to connect with the audience that this is like a a Gandalf-like character. Okay. But I I would say majority, like it's probably Gandalf, but I'm, I'm not counting out a blue wizard reveal in two seasons from now. I like that. Yeah. So you're relating it conceptually more than on the nose. And the follow your nose is on the nose. It is absolutely <laughs> as on the nose as possible. Uh, but I suppose Gandalf may have learned that technique from another wizard. So maybe there you go. Saruman is nope. Maybe no. no. <laughs> Saruman is out. Saruman theory I, I, is dead. I will have to say my theory is still technically protected until we get a name. <laughs> the stranger could be Saruman. Jamie, where do you land? Either they're going to 
use this follow your nose line as a way to trick us a la Game of Thrones, which I'm not a fan of, as I discussed earlier. But then the other thing is, very similar to with the Hallbrand initial reveal, the very first shot we get of The Stranger, which I talked at length about in our episode one review on Hobbit Hoopla, go back, listen to episode one, is the imagery of The Stranger lying there in that Mm. crater filled with fire. Yeah. Looked like the Eye of Sauron. Facts. I don't think it's an accident that they made the image look like that. So I still think that that is some sort of foreshadowing. <laughs> what <if> it was? <laughs> <laughs> they were just like, oh, shoot. Uh, oh, no, I accidentally no. threw my camera in the air. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll roll with it. Are you going to say some timeline thing where the stranger is Sauron? <laughs> I don't think timeline, but I yeah. do get where you're going at, Jay. So I did actually think that with... Um, so let me finish my, my thought. I still do think that maybe there is some foreshadowing with that initial image of the stranger lying in the crater. And at the beginning of this episode, when the priests, uh, do we have a name? I forget what we call them. Priests of Morgoth. They're the mystics. The mystics. When the mystics announce that the stranger is Sauron, then I was like, oh my God, mind blown. Maybe they are doing a timeline thing. Maybe they're doing a Westworld Mm -hmm. style. The stranger and the Harfoots are happening a few hundred years in the past. And then the stranger will turn into Halbrand over the next few centuries. Uh, so I, for like the first 20 minutes of the episode, I was like, oh, oh my God, is, do we have two Saurons in the show? But I don't think it is. Can I come out with just uh, a theory that could potentially be out there? Oh, give the boys theory music. Get the theory music going. <laughs> in the second age, this blue wizard comes down with, and travels to the east with Nori. That blue wizard is Gandalf. Gandalf then passes on, comes back in the third age as a gray wizard, who then who then passes on in a battle with the Balrog, who comes back as a white wizard. So he Gandalf was in the second age as a blue wizard. That's not how it is in the lore, but I think that could be a really interesting point and connect us to the character we all love. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That's the nice. biggest takeaway for me is that the show is not afraid to mislead us. How long they're going to keep that going now that some of the biggest revelations are out, we're not quite sure, and, and we won't know until 2024 when the, the new episodes and new season oh, will hopefully come to us. Hurts. I know. Hurts right. to say. Hurts to it say does. out loud. We've got a lot of digest between now and then, but they're not afraid to throw us off the trail. And even when that trail does eventually come back to one of our theories maybe being correct, which doesn't happen often, they're not afraid to say, okay, we got you. Uh, this is not what you thought it was, or this totally was what you thought it was. As long as they make clear distinctions and aren't trying to you know, surprise us uh, with major reveals and, and twists, I think as long as they do it as masterfully as they did with the Halbrand Sauron character, I think it's going to work out. So if they have a plan for this wizard, for the stranger, then go for it. By all means, do whatever you want with the timeline. Do whatever you want with the characters. That's fine by me. Just make sure that you're doing it in a way that makes sense. Just don't make it Rise of Skywalker, okay? That's all we're asking. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Please, no. But yeah, if we're talking, you know, future of the show real fast, um, one thing that has always been somewhat of a concern to me is we all know the outlandish budget that's being thrown for rings of power this first season has the capability to capture the audience needed and the viewership needed to maintain that budget the question is will that actually happen because 60 million an episode has to be maintained to upkeep what they've designed and will continue to produce Um, if they don't do that it could have a negative effect on the future of the show that would just be disappointing honestly hey jamie i did want to just jump back really quick to the cold opening that you mentioned briefly what were your reactions at that moment my heartbeat i jumped up kind of gave it a scream like yes it's sauron like i was so excited (laughs) that was such a cool opening to the episode specifically as he's going through like this beautiful forest the greenwood the eventual murkwood he's going around he Mm. like sees the mystic that looks like nori and then you see the 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 dweller the the hood goes over the face and the shape shifting takes place 
that was such a cool moment and it really gets me excited for potentially Sauron to do some shape-shifting of his own. That would be cool. My reaction when that happened was, as I told you earlier, I was sitting there drinking a delicious cup of coffee out of my Hobbit Hoopla coffee mug <laughs> and I did a full-on spit take just spewing <laughs> coffee all over the TV. <laughs> did, you, did you actually? <laughs> no. Like blood uh, coming out of that orc's eye. <laughs> Disgusting. You know, all three of those mystics end up doing some shape-shifting a little later on in the episode when uh, when they get absolutely obliterated oh by the stranger. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was dope. What did we think? There was a little bit of rushiness in the eventual release, but I think because of the finale environment, they were okay to do this rush job of the stranger going from this completely incoherent babbling buffoon, mm. not knowing who he is. It's not exactly an amnesia trope, and I think they've handled it delicately all season. I did feel it was a tiny bit rushed how he suddenly becomes talking so professionally, so profound, like a wizard would actually talk. He starts to remember these things. Maybe it was the encounter that really jostled his memory and finally broke that barrier, but what did we think? Was that a little too rushed? Did we think it was just right? Did we think it was earned? Well, I think they earned the rush job because there's a direct quote earlier sure. in that episode from the mystic who is just talking with the three other mystics as the stranger is unconscious at one point. And she says his veil will be lifted as he discovers more of his power. Yeah. And so then when he gets the staff and he has this huge burst of new power that he is able to control better than he's controlled any of his magic so far, then the veil is lifted and he's starting to become more of himself. So... They rushed it, yes, but they explained why it was rushed. I actually thought it worked, the amnesia trope, Chris. Um, I actually believe that if it is Gandalf, or even a wizard in of themselves, they're going to be far more knowledgeable than the standard character. And once they begin to have some realization for who they are, I feel like this would come back. Their ability to communicate, their ability to wield their magical powers, or for whatever it is. But talking about the mystics, I'm going to just speak there for a moment. I really appreciated how, amongst the three, the Dweller never actually speaks, yet is the most powerful. And that was something that I actually kind of enjoyed, because it just sort of spoke to how evil this one particular leader of the three of them was. That they spoke through their actions, and not through their work. When they get obliterated, the Dweller, as right. Jake has been calling this mystic, I had no idea what any of their names were, but that's fine. <laughs> um, Sometimes do, do reveal that, yeah. When they get blasted into this like kind of ghostly form, she kind of looks like the witch king for a second. Yeah, what's going on with that? Definitely. Why did, why did they have some witch king imagery with that? What do we think that's all about? Lore master, any thoughts? Followers of Morgoth. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm watching the episode on the left here, and I keep forgetting that we're doing a podcast because I love this episode so much. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. I'm looking at this scene right now. It's beautiful. They do. They pull you back into this undying lands or the, what is it? What is it? How have they been calling it? Like Sauron's been like researching the... The unseen world. The unseen world, mm, the unseen lands. Nice. That then pulls you back into, you know, when Frodo gets on the ring and the ring wraiths. It, it does allude back to that. So I'm really interested to see how they weave this into the actual creation of the ring itself or really just all the magic at large it's all around this the unseen lands i don't know too much information ab about that but thinking that maybe this magic is all connected with the rings that the wraiths end up putting on their fingers and transforms them maybe all the wizards have been using magic from the unseen lands not just Sauron. It would be interesting to see if there were actually more of these Morgoth or mystics or blue wizards as Nori and the stranger go on their adventure, their journey. Mm. Um, one thing that I want to ask y'all about real quick is, is there any significance to the moth that appears as the dweller begins to fade? Oh my well, gosh. Any you're, symbolism? That's, right. You're right. that's a great point because... Do we need to actually play eulogy music for, for these three actors here? And I, I've <laughs> got their names. Want to shout out just in case. I don't know. Do we need the eulogy music? Do we, we not? We need, but we need music. I don't know. Edith Pora as the Nomad, uh, Bertie Sasson as the Dweller, and Callie Copea as the Ascetic. Hopefully I've got those right, pronunciations dude. right. Great body language, excellent choreography, uh, staging for the episode. They had a very small role, but... 
is that role done? That's the question I think Jake's looking at. Is there some sort of rebirth? Do these characters, are they even capable of death? Do they go back to the unseen world? Is it a respawn type of thing? Are they on a timer? Are they going to come back? That is possible. That is possible. (laughs) I I was under the impression that these are maybe some of those like mystic cultists from the East that maybe, yeah, Jake, Nori and, and, and the stranger will run into in season two and three as maybe some other types of villains. I don't know about them specifically, but Jake, to answer your question on the moth, Gandalf whispers to a moth to bring the eagles. He has the connection with these types of yep. animals and creatures. So once again, it's another check box call. for our, our Gandalf there. Great point, Andy. Great catch there. I, I actually, that answers my question before, but One thing I also wanted to add in that I really did appreciate that they decided to do, Nori and the stranger going off to the lands of the East. I was actually shocked that they didn't have Poppy join, but I loved that Mm. decision because it it separates our story from the original works. I like that it allows us to have something sort of new and exciting, and it'll be interesting to see Nori's growth apart from the rest of the Harfoots. Yeah, because I think they did it perfectly. Earlier in the episode, we got to see Nori and Sadduk and Mary Gold alongside Nori. Yep. Play, play um, that eulogy music for Sadduk. Oh, devastating loss. So Let him watch the sunrise. So much emotion in these little Harfoot scenes. Yeah. I know. But they have that adventure, more excitement than Harfoots have pretty much ever had in their lives. In like generations and generations of Harfoots that... One little fight between the mystics with the stranger and the four Harfoots is more adventure than any Harfoot has ever had. And Nori got to be part of it, so she got to have her little bit of adventure. But then with the passing of Sadduk, there's now a role that Nori needs to fill within the tribe, within the, um, do they have, what's the group of Harfoots called? The caravan. Within the hoopla. Within the caravan, yeah. Within the hoopla uh, within, In the hoopla of Harfoots, <laughs> uh, she has a role that she needs to fill, and her destiny is to stay with the caravan and not go on the adventure with Nori. Yeah. Lugro mentions it's at that 54th minute, almost towards the end of this uh, beginning of the scene, really. You're a part of something bigger now. And we get that earlier in the episode, Nori's talking to the stranger saying, I've had about all as much adventure as one hard foot could have. And that's, that's obviously a callback. She mentions both the words journey and adventure, which if you're a Tolkien fan, those words certainly spark your interest. <laughs> but to Jake's point, yeah, we're, we're getting a split finally. I, I did think Poppy was going to eventually come along, especially mm-hmm. when she does come rushing back in. But the emotional intelligence of this show is top notch. I mean, I shed a tear, certainly, in, in two of the scenes here. At the very end, we'll get some more tears later on. But with the Harfoots, yeah, it, it's just, they handled it very well. I think Nori and the Stranger are going to be a great dynamic, similar to what we saw with, with what we saw with Galadriel and Theo, just, you know, spread out in a much, much more intimate relationship that's going to be this adventure that she's now going on. Yeah, when Largo says, you're part of something bigger now, it's a huge transformational moment for the Harfoots as a caravan, or excuse me, as a hoopla. Hoopla. Ooh, hoopla. You talked about where you shed a tear, Chris. I would say the same thing when Mary Gold says to Nori, you'll be bold. Like that was just yes, such yes. a beautiful moment. Uh, and once again, it was, uh, it was, there was so a, a much emotion. Arc, a full arc yes. in this whole season. Like where we've talked about multiple times in episodes one, two, and three about Mary Gold and how she's like, no, you need to stay as a farfoot. Nobody goes off trail. Nobody walks alone. The whole caravan has gone through an arc, really, as they now have their new kind of leader, one of their leaders and Malva and Poppy. And then they appreciate and love the stranger and Nori as they go on their adventure. Yeah, the mother-daughter relationship of Marigold and Nori throughout the whole season has been incredible. And just seeing it go on that full shift of Marigold is now fully in support of Nori's destiny. And the fact that she understands Nori would never be happy just living the life of a Harfoot. For sure. She has to leave the hoopla to go have her own hoopla with Gandalf. Oh, Mm -hmm. maybe. (laughs) Yeah, she's going off to Harfoot College. Harford Harvard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to go to Harford College. Um, yeah. So that was a, a fantastic ending to the season with the Harfoots and the Stranger, giving us just enough of a hint at maybe now we do know for sure who the Stranger is, but there are still some questions and we get to have an adventure waiting for us as we move forward. 
Before the mystics get absolutely eradicated, they do mention the runes to the east and the star pattern that we finally get so much mystery mm. solved here. Does that give us more questions than answered? Loremaster, do you have anything on the hermit's hat? Or is that relatively new to the fandom? Nothing on my end, Chris. Honestly, I just think it's a way, it's a mechanism for them to take the stranger to an area that we haven't seen before because we don't know what this character is. They can create a whole storyline around it. So that's why I think it's it's a good idea to move them over into Rune, into the East, because there's not predetermined storylines they have to get through. Right. We're going to get to have new adventures in a new part of Middle-earth that we've never seen before, just like we've had new adventures in Numenor for the first time this season, where the rest of our friends in this episode are making their way back as Muriel still dealing with her recent blindness, Elendil dealing with the loss of his son, and all of Numenor dealing with the loss of their king. Yeah, and then Queen Muriel sees the black... Oh, wait. Oh my god. Uncalled for, man. How long have you been waiting to see (laughs) Boo. Boo this man. Oh no. (laughs) Love you, Queen Muriel. It wasn't insensitive. It was was just not funny. (laughs) (laughs) We call that a Jake joke. Hey. I did really like those banners, though. Those banners as you're kind of coming. We've used this one set piece multiple times as the ships come into this one area that I wonder how that's modeled similarly to like earlier in the seasons. How much difference is there with all these black flags are are flying to not commemorate, but to, to memorialize the king? Yeah, it's the equivalent to flags being flown at half staff, sure. right? Half mast. This is a pretty significant loss for all of Numenor, considering the fact that this was a leader that was so symbolic for the initiation and development of Numenor. And so you got to c- consider the fact that people have got to be you know, heartbroken over this. One thing that I found was interesting, I've really found that Farazan, I expected him to be more villainous in this Same. season. See? He's yeah. not that bad. I told you. I mean, he is very sad, obviously, of the passing of his uncle. Yeah. I, I almost expected that he would, I'm not saying that he would have killed his uncle, but I expected something like he was pushing towards getting Muriel and, and his uncle out of the way so he could take over. But there is a lot of pain in his eyes in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, once again, they're taking villains making them empathetic, and then connects with the audience. Chris, you're making... I'm looking at you. What is Chris <laughs> laughing about? Yeah, what, what's... Pain. Well, you said pain in the eyes, and it was actually funnier than Jake's comment. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't even mean to do it. <laughs> oh, pain in the eyes, yeah. But, but it... <sighs> But it, it does bring up a great point. I thought Ferrazon was going to be a little more involved, and I don't think any of that is going away. I think we do yeah. see Ferrazon return, the actor return, and Kemen, as much as I am not a fan, will probably return Boo, as well. Kemen. It's something where it did feel a little... Again, I don't want to use the word rush, because the only thing I felt rushed about the episode was that stranger transition. But the Ferrazon, it was weird to see that he got a season wrap after that one scene. I mm. thought we were going to get him more, at least in this episode, if not throughout the rest of the final couple of episodes. But we'll talk about that more in the season-long recap. But yeah, he, he's clearly sad. It's a very remorse scene for a character that, frankly, we don't have a lot of interaction with. Mm. In fact, the most passionate interaction we get is just a little bit later on in the episode when he finally does kick the buck. It's a sad moment, but it's also, again, we can't escape this horror element in this new show. It was a little on the, on the back end because we had more of a psychological thing with the callbacks and the mind invasion and all that, but I got jump scared, truly, when the king sat up for that one final outburst oh, and yeah. and thought he was talking to Queen Regent Muriel. Turns out that it is totally just Arienne, who's just caught in between a rock and a hard Iarian, place, yeah. trying to do the right thing. Arian, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, You're between a rock at a hard place to do the right thing and paint this visage and, and, and earn that contract as part of the Builder's Guild, which, Jamie, I know you're excited to talk about your theories. Oh, boy, am I, because my theory has not yet been confirmed. Sure, sure, sure. True. But it is looking pretty dang good. My theory from episode three, when we first met Aarian and learned that she was joining the Builder's Guild, I correctly probably guessed (laughs) that she would succumb to the influence of the dark lord and aid in the building of barador 
And as she nice. goes up to We're the tower. We're going to have to wait till 2030 for that to actually take place. <laughs> so everybody keep listening. Join the hoopla every week. And I will continue to talk about how smart I am. Uh, but the very last shot we get with Aryan for this series is her pulling the handkerchief off of the Palantir. So everybody look forward to that. Jamie being right. What a beautiful thing. You know, we kind of briefly touched on Sara now being in Mordor. My question going forward was really, how is he going to interact with some of the other areas throughout the world? Numenor is so far away, like just geographically. The way that he's going to be able yes. to potentially manipulate through the Palantir to someone like Iarian or Kemen or Farazhan or all the above, like that's going to make a really compelling story arc as we go into season two. Yeah, so clarify this for me. Can visions within Palantirs change? Because for her to see what we know is in that Palantir, she would probably construct something based off of what she's now seen to try and protect Numenor. I don't know if she would necessarily be Let's inspired. Let's clarify your clarification real quick. Because what do you mean change? Like as in one person looks and sees one thing, another sees another? What, what do you mean by change? Because all we know about the Palantirs, well, if right. you don't read into too much, is that it's things that have yet to pass, things that may come right. to pass. I, I'm saying, does each specific Palantir have one specific scene? Mm, no. Okay, so it's based oh, upon no. per user It's user-based. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not just like a, it's not a VHS okay. tape that... It has two-factor <laughs> authentication. Yeah. You're going to yeah. want to make sure you reset yeah. your password every six to eight months. See, that's why they cut the scene. <laughs> she had to go through all that. Right, Jay, because Frodo sees the Shire on fire, whereas, say, Muriel sees the Great Wave coming in. Because they're in that area, I think it's... Right. And we don't know are... necessarily who's giving you the message. Maybe it's some of the gods of Middle-earth that are, right. like, providing those messages to you. So potentially right. she would see the Great Wave. Maybe she would... You don't know who's on the other end, right? That's what, Galad or what Gandalf well, says. To your point, yes, and that could be because Frodo had a different Palantir, right? But on the contrary, we see both Muriel and Galadriel seeing the same vision. That's why I'm curious mm -hmm. as to if yeah. this vision itself can be altered by Sauron. For one thing is the Palantirs are not just recorded videos that just show the viewer the same thing over and over. They may show sure. the same thing over and over, as we've seen. But we also know that the Palantirs are one of the ways in which Sauron controls other people. And he was able to sure. use sure. his influence through a Palantir to get to Sauron, for example. So, right. Or Denethor. Yeah, so we have a, a lot of uh, different ways that these Palantirs can be used. I'll buy that. I think an important thing to help clarify all of this conversation here is during that scene, the season wrap on E.R.E.N. and as well as Tar Palantir, the king, he mentions when in his state of hysteria, and now I cannot separate what is from what was, what was from what will be. So right. doesn't quite matter what the scene is. It's it's something again user based, and I think it's going to be more of a connotative thing when looking in the Palantir. The bigger thing take away from this this little slice here that we actually get. She looks at the Palantir, but we get that cutaway right before they pull the curtain. So. I mean, the Palantir has to be under there, right? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. no, it is. A million it percent. Is. A million percent. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think it's a cool decision, then, that they don't let us see it again. Was that Narsil? <gasps> Does Narsil <laughs> shapeshift? under. Oh, my God. Narsil is Sauron. I knew it. <laughs> I think that's an important cut because, again, we know it's under there. Tolkien fans will know what that is, especially the shape of it, but we don't sure. actually see the physical thing, the actual glass of it, I guess. You know what's wonderful, yeah. though, is that they've done that so well in yeah. this show, the transitions from different scenes to scenes. Transitions I, I think have been that's been point. a really, really good, suspenseful way to move to these different storylines. There was one transition that they made that surprised the heck out of me this episode. It was right when the king died, or when Elendil and Muriel arrive, and we see the black flags then they cut over to Eregion, and there's an explosion in the forge. Oh, and I thought that yeah. that tower was the tower where the king was. <laughs> I also <laughs> the thought king that. just yeah, exploded. I was like, that is, what is going on? Um, so, you know, maybe they were going for a jarring transition there, or maybe they just wasn't the smoothest of their many transitions. But I for sure thought that the king exploded. Well, I, I think they did it for the exact reason that you're talking about, right? 
a little misdirection there, which could be kind of fun. One thing about the Numenorean storyline, though, Jamie, that I was not expecting, I really thought we'd see a Sildur in this episode yeah. with like maybe Beric finding a Sildur, but they're holding that. Yeah, I like that decision. And it's probably a good thing because they really took out the whole Southlands and Cause of Doom storylines to really yep. focus heavily on the Stranger and Halbrand, which paid off perfectly as an ending to the season. Yeah. They focused on just the three most important groups for this episode, saving the rest for season two, as we will save the rest for next week when we discuss our thoughts on the season overall, and we'll discuss a lot of our growing theories for the future of this show, the next four seasons to come over who knows how many years, because now we have to wait two whole years until we oh get another episode of The Rings of Power. Oh, man. But let's go ahead. Let's do some final thoughts and give our final episode rating for season one of the rings of power andy what'd you think it really was a good finale episode the showrunners patrick mckay and jd Payne. it's a big tall task for them to take lord of the rings and put it on the tv screen after all these years being away from the peter jackson films and i thought this finale episode was the type of cinematic moments and reveals that we would have expected during the lord of the rings movies Obviously, they nailed the Halbrand reveal, in my opinion. The writing between Galadriel and Halbrand, really from episode two all the way up until that raft scene, it was just a great setup that then just paid off so well. I really care for these characters. There's a lot of, um, and I said I was going to keep it brief here, but there's <laughs> like... The, you did not follow direction. So much chemistry between so many different pairings of characters, whether it's Nori and Poppy, Elrond and Durin, Elrond and Galadriel, Halberin and Galadriel, you know, like all of these characters are so well, it just plays very well together. Um, Celebrimbor, while I know a lot of, you know, some of our other fans don't necessarily like his take, I thought he was pretty consistent throughout the season and the manipulation by Halbrand was staged well um, and believable. Once again, the wonderful action sequences with the strangers, the mystics, the Harfoots, cinematography, as Jakey says, was just on point. I am going to give this a 101 out of 111 Ooh. hooplas. Hoopla. Hoopla. Hitting those triple digits for the season finale. I love it. Great points all around. Chris, what did you think? I really enjoyed the finale. I think... One of the biggest things about a, a season one of a new IP is can you land the plane and get people excited for season two? So many shows, and it's unfortunate in, in today's you know TV zeitgeist, it's not every show that has followers, has good reviews, gets picked up for a second or even that third season. Also important. We know Amazon has this plan, which is great. And this finale episode was something that just won't stay out of my head until we get more episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's our last bit of content for now. My big point in all this, something that I did want to talk on earlier and, and we'll finally get to now here in my closing remarks. Okay, you did it. You wrote a show. I love the characters. I love the setting. I love the questions that you answered. And I love the questions that you gave me for the future. But here's the thing. You did it with all of that content already behind you. You changed a couple things. We let you do that. That's fine. We, we gave you these characters to work with. Now prove it. You've got the chemistry. You've got the characters. You've got the setting. You've got all of these fans ready for more, but you're going to have to stand on your own two legs at some point. And I think that's going to be the challenge over these next couple of years for the showrunners, for the directors, for the writing team. Can they create more off of what they already have? Can they escalate this beyond what we already know? We know Galadriel. We know now Sauron is a character in this show. Can they take that to the next level and give me a reason to care? Do I want to watch season two right now? Absolutely. But do I think they need to take their time with it? Yes. In all, this finale episode was great. Our storylines are being pushed on to the next season, which is awesome. I'm going to give this episode an 88 out of 111 hooplas. It was uh, a really good episode. Great, great way to wrap up. And 88? I don't trust anything Hoopla. you say. Hoopla! Dude, you have literally... You have six points. You gave an episode of 105. You have six points to put four more seasons That's a in 95. Yeah. I, it was a great episode. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It was, just, it was an 88. It was a strong episode, and I'm really excited for the future. 
It's unfortunate. You're off you the have... podcast, dude. You're off the podcast. <laughs> oh, put me off the podcast when everyone up. agrees with you get, my ratings more than you got to get those hoopla's <laughs> up, dude. <laughs> All right, that's fair. You brought up great points. You're just bad at math, so we'll let it slide. Directions <laughs> <laughs> were never my what strong did you suit. Think? <laughs> it's unfortunate Chris didn't have any bonus points because he could have surpassed episode six with his bonuses at an 89. But you know, I digress. Um, you know, this was. This was exactly what this episode needed to be. I was gripped at episode six, so it this didn't need to be to that level. What I will tell you is Bear McCreary crushed it. Uh, Musically, orchestrally, this was the best episode we got in terms of sound. Everything absolutely. was just so beautiful to listen to and, and digest. My eardrums were tingling. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. It just gave me shivers. You Kinda want to like become that... an Aragian blacksmith. <laughs> yeah, I really do. <laughs> no, it gave me shivers, kind of like that eerie song we got at the very end. And oh. I might I might just loop that at my house for Halloween. I just might keep it on loop 24-7 on October 31st. I don't know. But let me say this. There were a lot of incredible moments in this episode. A lot of very distinctive phrases. Halbrand being the key to unlocking the dam. Gilgalad saying to Galadriel, mm, yeah. you should not be here. There were just very distinctive moments that were extremely gripping. And I think, just as Chris was saying, they've got an incredible foundation. And I cannot wait to see how they propel this going forward. One of the things that they have to do in season one is you know, establish characters. And I feel for each and every one of them. They are so drawn out. And one thing that Chris did not mention in this episode for the first time out of all the episodes, was the word whimsical. And no. I think... <laughs> it it's not too late, Chris. Chris, it's not too late. Yeah, you can still say, say it. The, say the word. Say the... Whimsical. No. Oh, God, don't do that. <laughs> it didn't sound natural. Um, but it just goes to show that this show has been progressively going from light to dark, and in that, all of the characters are ready to come to this evil that's about to just blood over middle earth and how they will fight back will be enthralling so for me i'm gonna throw out a 101 with andy out of 171 hooplas. hoopla hoopla triple digits hoopla. i love it and i'm gonna risk pissing off chris oh my with God. this hoopla grade <laughs> but that's oh fine. let's go do so, it go all the way upon my first viewing i was very tempted to give it a perfect Stop. score Stop. From, yes. the, from the pure Stop. entertainment, pure entertainment value of this episode, from start to finish, Jake said this word gripping, and he also said the word enthralled. I was enthralled by this episode <laughs> from the moment it started until the moment we saw Sauron, the volcano in his eye, the as he turned such a cool shot and Damn, walked into imagine. Mordor. I was enthralled the entire time. And like, how can you improve upon that? Upon second viewing and kind of diving into the stories a little bit, there were some things that were maybe not as perfect as they could be. But overall, it was just an outstandingly entertaining episode, brought together all the storylines that we've seen so far perfectly, wrapped up enough while still leaving a ton of room for excitement in the future. So I will drop it down a few points for my original <laughs> perfect score. Because as Chris mentioned, I do need to leave room for the... Season finales of I'm the next season. I'm not going to tell you how to enjoy things. I just think you need to the leave last a little alliance, headway. What the I'm last like. alliance better be a perfect score, and that's my expectation, Amazon. What a wait. What a wait. So I am going to leave room for the next four season finales to improve upon this one. And I'm going to give this a 107 out of 111 hoopla. That's beautiful. I like hoopla. that. I like hoopla. Amazing. The season overall was incredible, and we have so much to talk about next week as we kind of go over our thoughts on the entire season. And I personally have a lot of thoughts about where this series is going over the next season and the next few seasons. Um, so tune in next week if you guys want to hear us talk about the season overall and our final thoughts on season one of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. But now, for the final time this season, Chris, your little special segment for us. There is some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and there was no need to look up the news or a content creator this time around. We want to give a special shout out at the Hoblet Hoopla podcast here to you all, the good in our world, the listeners of the Hobbit Hoopla podcast. 
through this season. We cannot thank you enough if you've made it this far listening to our ramblings and musings and quite wrong theories. And correct theories. And correct theories mixed in there as well. Thank you for sticking along with us. If you do choose to continue, let us know what you'd like to hear, truly. Uh, You guys are the fans. We love talking about Lord of the Rings. We love talking about the entire season, which we will, coming up in an episode next week. But if you want to hear something, please, please, please come interact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Find our Reddit page. Find our link tree and just interact. We want to hear from you. You guys make this possible. Thank you so much for listening. You are the good in our world this time around, and we can't thank you enough for being here. Yeah, thank you all so, so much for listening. It's been super fun uh, with this first little adventure into making this podcast. The four of us hoopla and around for the past eight weeks. Hoopla! And we're excited to keep it going. So like Chris said, let us know what you guys want to hear, because we've been trying to plan out what we're going to watch next, what we're going to talk about next. And there's just an unlimited supply of fantasy (laughs) and sci-fi for us to watch and talk about. So we're open to suggestions. But that will bring us to a close on season one of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. So for the final and the highest of highest hooplas, what do you have for us this week, Andy? As the stranger said, when in doubt, Eleanor Brandyfoot, always follow your nose. I, I clearly had a reaction to that that just, you guys didn't match. So that's okay. Let's move on, please. Oh, I have those all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we call that a Jake point. Yeah. Welcome to my segment where I talk about points that people do like me. <laughs> <In> the- <laughs>